Um, I have two things to admit. One, Super Bowl started. I didn't know who was playing. <laughs> Second, everyone was like, I can't wait for Tom Brady to win another Super Bowl. I'm like, oh, well, then the Patriots? the Patriots must be playing in the Super Bowl. Yeah. Uh, Tom Brady doesn't play for the Patriots anymore. Yeah. <laughs> so for, just for listeners who want to get a grasp of how little I give a shit about professional organized <laughs> sports, uh, that should tell you everything you need to know. Ditto. Same same for me. All of those realizations you had, <laughs> I too had at some point today. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> it's been a real adventure. <laughs> Welcome to episode 384 of the Design Details Podcast. I'm Brian Levin. And I'm Marshall Bach. Welcome back for another episode. Brian, how you doing? You know, pretty good. It's been a busy weekend, but a good weekend. Been out and about exploring San Francisco. We explored Oakland for a little bit yesterday. It's been nice. Ah, that sounds like fun. I haven't done that in a year. <laughs> yeah, you need to get outside when you can. <laughs> When possible, just go take a drive. Well, I'm going to get into this episode. What do we got planned yeah, for yeah. today, Brian? Uh, we got a lot coming up, but first, we have a new Golden Ratio supporter. Huge shout outs to Copilot. Yeah. Copilot is the best application to budget your money, keep track of your finances. It is like your money assistant in your pocket. We both use it. We love it, and it's awesome to have them sponsoring the show. Mm-hmm. I think everyone should use this, but I thought maybe we could just tell people what our favorite features are of Copilot. Uh, I'll start. Okay. I love Copilot because I can connect all my accounts, all my financial accounts, my bank account, my Robinhood account, my Acorns account, like Venmo, all this random shit where all my money's strewn across the internet, and it gets rolled up into one nice, tidy interface, and I can see. All of the balances across all of them all at once. It's kept up to date. Shows me my sort of total, I don't know, quote unquote net worth, which feels weird to say, but it's a number. So there it is. And it's all in one place. And it's lovely. How about you, Marshall? Well, I love Copilot. Uh, and, you know, this is genuine. Like, we both really actually enjoy this app. I know, I know. It sounds like a uh, scripted read, but no, it's like, no, these, this is actually the best budgeting app there is. Yeah, one of my buddies from Google co-founded or founded this thing and and, and built it and designed it. He's awesome. Anyways, uh, so that's one of the things I love about it. It's designed by somebody I'm, I'm friends with and like as a human. Yeah, uh, But also, I can review by day all of my transactions and see each thing and how it's being categorized and I can just kind of go through and like not a tender swipey thing but you know one card at a time see everything from every day and and really keep track of where my money's going I love that it's kind of a game I do every day it's so good everyone just go download it the website's copilot.money we're gonna be talking about them for the next few weeks and uh it's fantastic if you haven't tried it Go try it. It's at copilot.money. Sweet. Thanks, Copilot. We also have some new very important pixels this week, but I got to start because last week, Marshall, I could not pronounce someone's name, uh-huh. and I got a tweet that I think is a clue to the pronunciation. So the name I could not pronounce last week is spelled as follows. G-R-Z-E-G-O-R-Z. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a Z in the middle, which I've never uh-huh. seen. And at the end. And at the end. Z in the middle and the end. I think this is a Polish name. Stevanis Satria tweeted at me and said, I think it's pronounced Dregorsh. Okay. So I'm going to go with it. 
Dragorsh. Sorry for butchering your name last week, Dragorsh. And potentially this week as well. Potentially double whammy. Double tap (laughs) fucked up the pronunciation of your name. Oh, we're we're trying. (laughs) Uh, All right. We also have some new supporters this week. Huge shout outs to Anna Mock, Jackie Chu, Kyriakos Spiliotopoulos, Stacey Holmstead, Chris, Aislinn Kelly, Eric Stahl, Nathan Lindahl, Tim Von Bishopink, and Joshua McDonald. Great list. Uh, this has been another entry into the ongoing series called Brian Lovin <laughs> fucks up the pronunciation of your name. I'm so sorry. <laughs> yeah, I take a scan through every time, and without fail, there's always one where I'm like, mm, that's going to get him. It's going to get me. It's going to get him. And I love it. It's so much but fun. But thank you. Yeah, thanks everyone for supporting the show. If you didn't know, we're a listener-supported podcast, which means that listeners like you actually make it possible for us to record this show every single week. So you help pay for our software, our hardware, and just the time it takes to get together and record and edit this show every week. It takes quite a while. And if you've been enjoying the show and you want to support us directly, you can do that by going to Patreon. We're at patreon.com slash design details. You can support us for as little as a dollar a month. We tried to make this really approachable and affordable for everybody. So for just a dollar a month, you get access to a new supporter-only segment of the show called the sidebar. Sidebar, sidebar. The sidebar is basically like an extra half of the episode, and mm-hmm. I think that's going to be especially true today. Today, yes. <laughs> uh, today's sidebar was really fun. We answered the question, what is the Norman door of digital design? Ooh. And we talk a lot about signifiers and affordances. Ooh, there's a difference, Brian. <laughs> and buttons and feedback and discoverability and lots of other juicy design things. Almost so juicy, maybe it should have been the main topic, but it's in the sidebar. So if you want to hear that and all of our past sidebars, and if you want to have access to full episodes of this show going forward, go to patreon.com slash design details and consider supporting us. Just a buck a month. Just a buck a month. Just a buck a month. All right. Well, thank you everyone who supported the show this week. We appreciate you. Yeah. Thanks everybody. Past and present. The fam grows week over week. All right, a little bit of follow-up, a little bit of tweetage, Brian. We got some follow-up on the invisible design from the last episode, topic that we are talking about. First comes from Domenico Flauto. Hopefully I'm saying your name right there, Domenico. He says, to me, invisible design is all about removing friction and making the interaction or trigger blending in with your subconscious. This creates a wow moment the first time, but then gets taken for granted. I think that's true. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's a novel thing that feels special when you first encounter it, but over time becomes expected table stakes, right? Uh, for me, this is unlocking my Mac with my watch. Oh, yeah. I love it. Like, the first time, I don't know if you remember that when that first came out. Oh, yeah. It was so exciting. I'm like, yes, this is so awesome. I just, like, open the lid to my computer, and magic happens. Mm-hmm. And I get the feedback on my wrist. Mm-hmm. And now it's invisible, and if it doesn't work, it's really annoying and frustrating, but it works most of the time. They got it for uh, for phones now, too. I don't know if you've seen the newest the new update. update. Yeah, yeah, which is really interesting. I, I was trying to think through the security implications of that, right? Because now you almost have like a circular security loop because there's a setting in your Apple Watch hmm. that says if you put your watch on and it's close to your phone and you unlock your phone, simultaneously unlock your watch, right? Mm-hmm. So that way you don't have to press the little pin pad on your watch. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But now it's going the other way as well. So I don't know. It seems like they're 
they had to have thought through all the security implications and I just don't understand exactly how it works. Like maybe you have to unlock both once and then that sort of mask feature will work where it unlocks your phone with your watch. But yeah, my guess is you have to put in a pin somewhere to get in the first time. But then, yeah, yeah, there will have to be some step, right? I didn't know about that setting that you're talking about with with the watch that I'm looking for right now trying to turn it on. Oh, yeah, it's so good. Yeah, put your watch on and then as soon as you unlock your phone, it'll just automatically unlock your watch. Love it. Okay, cool. So next one comes from Fabio Giolito. Again, hope I'm saying your name right. He says, about lights with motion sensors. Our apartment had them when we moved in, but I had to ask the landlord to remove it after one night because we have cats. (laughs) And that's fair. (laughs) I understand your pain there. I bet, you know, the landlord, depending on where you were living, they're probably so excited. They're like, oh, we're going to have these really incredible sort of smart homes People are going to come in and be sold on like how well considered we designed their apartment. It's going to be worth a little more money every month. And then you move in and you have your cats and you <laughs> you make them uninstall all this shit. Yeah, uh, it's funny, but yeah, makes sense. Uh, it reminds me of uh, there's a Gus Johnson video on YouTube of like him being a cat at 4 a.m. just okay. causing causing mayhem because that's what cats do at 4 a.m. So uh-huh. I, I feel you, Fabio. Uh, yeah. All right. Last week comes from Nancy Zwo. Nancy, hopefully I'm saying your name right. Oh, gosh. You had uh, to say this for every person. Welcome I know. To my world, well, it's Marshall. true for every person, right? <laughs> I probably messed them all up. Um, yeah. Anyways, Nancy says, another invisible experience I thought of is going back to eating seeded grapes after eating seedless grapes, <laughs> which, uh, yeah, that's that's the embodiment of this whole thing. Of like, This is, I mean, genetically modified plants and fruits and, and foods. Mm-hmm. It is most of what we consume these days, whether oh, yeah. you like to admit it or not. Yeah, but yeah. I remember I grew up only eating seedless grapes, and I was quite old before I ate grapes that had seeds in them. Uh-huh. It's like, what the hell? This is this is a way worse experience. <laughs> Why would you change it this way? Like, no, yeah, no. Who, who did this dastardly deed? Yeah, But it turns out I'd just been spoiled by our genetically modified old great boys. Dude, nothing looks like it should look. Have you seen a traditional natural banana? Yeah. That shit doesn't even L- look like a Literally every fruit, like yep. no fruit that exists in the supermarket today is meant to be as big as it is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like they're all designed by nature to be really small. <laughs> yeah, or, or even as symmetrical or like uh, you know yeah. evenly colored. All of these uh-huh. things that we associate with health that we're you know projecting onto to fruits. It's funny that they've been engineered like oh people will buy a symmetrical round evenly red apple more than they will this lumpy one over here. And those are the ones that get left behind that nobody takes. Poor ugly fruit. Did you know that uh grocery stores always keep those bays full because people won't take the last of anything in a in a fruit or vegetable bay at the grocery store because they'll think that everyone else passed it up so it's not worth getting. 100%, so they will never that. sell yep. that stuff so they always keep it full. Man, human psychology. Anyways. But dude, I, I'm part of that problem. Like I'm I'm one of those people that not everything, but sometimes if there's something on a shelf, I'll always get the second one, right? Like I don't never want to get the first the first oh, one. Oh yeah, yeah. I take the ones at the back. Yeah. Especially yeah. in the uh like the dairy area or like the, the refrigerated things because they lo- yeah. they load from the back. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yep. Milk, bread. Grab from the back, baby. Yeah, I've worked at enough uh, grocery stores to know how facing and all that stuff (laughs) works. Like you put Uh the the new stuff in the back so they buy the old stuff. Yep. Uh, I see your tricks. Humans. (laughs) All right. Thanks, everybody, for your tweets. And let's move on now to the main topic, Ryan. 
This one comes to us on GitHub on our repo where you can ask your own listener question. Uh, this comes from John Kafaza, who asks, with a typical day being filled with heads down work, review sessions, and all the things necessary for shipping new features, how do you and your larger design team find the time and headspace to design for the future of your project? A proverbial North Star vision for the entire product. John continues, the company I work at, American Express, has historically leveraged external agencies to help do this, but this comes with its pluses and minuses. Curious if you guys have any thoughts or insights. Cheers. Uh, Brian, this is like the hardest thing. (laughs) This is the thing, yeah. I feel like everybody struggles with this. How do you carve out the time to think about the future when the day-to-day demands of creating a good interface, like executing on the roadmap and making sure it's shipped with quality and sort of meets your bar of of quality. How do you find the time? Let me make it harder for you, Brian. How do you create that North Star vision when there are dozens of teams of people involved and each one needs to see their own product and goals and strategy and roadmap reflected in that North Star in a way that they go, oh yeah, this is how (sighs) our stuff could look in the future. Yeah, there's so many complex layers here. I think there's a lot around organizational design, like who should be designing North Stars? Because you can imagine like per feature North Stars, product level North Stars, Mm -hmm. org level North Stars. Centralized, decentralized, first party, third party, yeah. Yeah, there's all sorts of ways that you could slice it. And actually, you know, I feel like I've worked across a couple of those ways before. Like I've certainly worked on individual feature North Stars. Like Mm -hmm. in isolation, here's how this one thing could be really, really cool in the future. And then you can sort of branch that out. Like, okay, here's a couple of products or like a couple of services where we might need to make changes. And then I'm certain the design systems layer is cross-cutting, right? A lot of visual North Star work. Like how do we want our product to look and feel in the Mm -hmm. future? Mm-hmm. So you could work your way up those hierarchies. The way I've approached this is I really try and alternate between just being in heads down mode and being in sort of exploratory discovery mode. And those phases are maybe months apart. I think it's good to go and just execute for a few months. And then after you've caught up, stuff is in motion, engineers are building or things just shipped, then it feels okay to switch to maybe more, I don't know, 20 to 40% time is spent on exploration. And so for me, I try to keep mostly afternoons clear, but I've recently gotten into a good cycle where like my Wednesdays and Fridays are mostly clear. Cool. So I'm like, okay, well, if I don't have many meetings those days, I'm going to use that time to try and think about harder problems that don't have really clear answers. And then my Mondays and Tuesdays and Thursdays, I can use my free hours outside of meetings to actually just design the features that are coming up or that engineering needs to be unblocked on. So I try and find balance in that way. But yeah, it kind of oscillates. I don't know. Does it, does that resonate for you or have you found something else? <sighs> I don't have a good <laughs> solution for this. What you said makes a lot of sense, especially on a per feature or a smaller product level. But when it comes to coordinating a bunch of different teams and maintaining a culture where everyone feels involved, like, I mean, obviously the the two main things that need to be present are communication and representation on larger teams. That way nobody gets left behind or excluded from the conversation. At the same time, that just means there's a lot of cooks in the kitchen. Um, So it's a delicate balance. I don't have a good, I haven't been able to do this successfully so far, 
I, I've seen it fail a bunch of times. I think I've mentioned it on the show before, but yeah, I've, I've seen it fail before where one team will go into a vacuum, design something, come back out, and everybody goes, oh, that looks cool, but that'll never work because X, Y, Z, right? <laughs> uh-huh. And that sucks because it's just wasted time and wasted social capital kind of on the same thing. It's like, wow, so you thought you could take my feature and go redesign it without asking me anything about it and then show it to everybody like it was the best thing ever. I don't know. It it just it seems like a waste of a lot of different resources to do something that way. So communication and representation are really big. I mean, yeah, I think what you just described comes down to, I think, one of the problems that people have with North Stars in general is that they're usually so North Star-ish that it's impossible to actually execute against it. But I still think that they're valuable. Like one phrase that we've started using more at GitHub is less saying things like North Star, but more like concept car. Maybe it's capturing the same sentiment, but I kind of like the idea of concept car. It feels Mm -hmm. a little bit more concrete. Like you can picture a concept car and it looks really cool, but you can squint and it's like, yeah, the, the car is still there. And we'll, we can try and maybe get one or two of those really cool things fit in. But otherwise, it's going to be pretty much an evolution of, of what exists today. Mm-hmm. So I think it's cool to have that in the world. And then just be very comfortable knowing that it's it will probably never look like that. It, you will incrementally get to something cool, but it's going to take years, not quarters, months. Quarters, quarters, <laughs> yep. Yeah. And as far as like, how do you find the time and headspace? I think the thing I am always trying to do, and maybe this is unique to my position, but I'm always looking at frustration, like pain points. I'm always trying to pay attention when designers are trying to do something that the system doesn't allow for or looking for a pattern that doesn't exist. It's like, okay, that's a thing. And I have a little mental checklist and a physical checklist that I keep track of these things. But it's a lot easier to figure out what that North Star should be when you're kind of always in the headspace of identifying things that should be on that roadmap, you know? Mm-hmm. As far as time goes, it's really expensive, but I find the best way to do this is just block off time for everybody involved, however big or small that group is. is just like have dedicated workshop time where everyone can be together in the same space, virtual or physical, whatever, but this is the time for us to work on this stuff. And like you said, maybe it's periodic and each time it increments a little bit further over a series of months. But yeah, I find if you're doing it asynchronously, that communication starts to break down or people start pursuing their own ideas and it starts to fragment and bifurcate and then you no longer have a North Star. You have North Stars and that's not useful. <sighs> yeah. Can I say something controversial here? I'm not sure if I agree with it yet or not because you were okay. talking about like representation and communication overhead and getting everyone in the same room. And part of me is like, I think maybe a more effective North Star is designed by a couple of people. Like actually being in isolation and coming back with a concept car. And I understand the counter argument to that, which you've actually already articulated, which uh-huh. is it can be pretty annoying for someone to go off in the woods and come back with this concept car that is like yeah that's clearly not possible and you didn't consider this and this and this like you didn't consult me you didn't have any of the nuance somehow that still feels valuable like if it's framed correctly like hey we know we're not getting everything right here but if we didn't have a lot of constraints like here's some crazy future and then leave it up to the other teams or other people to maybe try and like extract one or two of those ideas or be like oh, hmm, I'd never thought of this sidebar in that way. 
we've always thought it was so complicated and you've distilled it. I wonder if we could actually distill it by moving some stuff over here. Like it, it's a conversation starter, right? That's the whole mm-hmm. point of these things. And yeah. so as long as like the, the tone is good and it's not like we've gone off and designed your feature for you, but rather here's some provocative ideas for you to riff on. Somehow that doesn't feel bad. And it feels like the only reasonable way for there to be a vision. Otherwise, yeah, you have 20 design leads in a room, everybody protecting their space, posturing, elbowing for, you know, their vision to fit into this bigger concept car, North Star. Mm-hmm. And maybe it's better if it's just a couple people. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's all about context setting or expectation setting. Like if you say, this is just to get the conversation started, that's one thing. But if you're framing it as like, here's what our product could look like in X years, that's a different thing. That's a different proposition. And when you do the latter, it's a lot easier to hurt feelings and get negativity than the former. So yeah, and if you're doing the former, make it very, very clear that like, this is just a straw person for us to beat up and maybe get some good ideas from, but it's a starting point. It's the conversation starter. Yeah. I I like that. I think that comes down to good communication. And for me, this always gets framed in the context of cycles. Like you shouldn't be doing this all the time. Otherwise it's going to get really annoying for both the person creating the North star because nothing will ever happen. And for everybody else on the team, who's just constantly being bombarded with cool concept cars that are really pretty, but they have like other real constraints to deal with. So I think having some sort of cycle to it, obviously that's not going to be really possible to coordinate on a huge team, but maybe within like an organization or product area, it's like every few months, you know, you kind of like revisit or every couple of years you revisit because eventually you'll get something close to that North Star. And by then a whole bunch of new problems and opportunities will have exposed themselves and it's time to go again. Yep. So I'm fine spreading that out a little bit and just being comfortable being in an execution mode for a while and then a discovery mode for a while. Mm-hmm. It's it's also like a fun puzzle sometimes too to try and figure out like, okay, here's what the final product is going to look like. How do we get there in a way that doesn't look like, you know, <laughs> we're Frankensteining along the way? Like, and, and what is the most impactful change we could make that isn't as difficult as some of the other ones? Like finding those ways in to to getting that momentum going of like okay we're on the road we're we're going and we can see where it ends we see the light at the end of the tunnel we're already moving what's the next step and each step forward until eventually you've done all the steps and by then you've probably got a new north star to aim at (sighs) yeah you know what this is reminding me of as we're talking maybe this is a good future topic episode but it's how do you decide when to kill stuff like remove features because the problem with all of these north star vision setting things is they just ignore too many of the constraints of features that have already existed. Like a lot of times when you're doing some sort of North Star, it's like, all right, I'm just going to sort of squint my eyes and pretend this one like piece of the interface doesn't exist. And we'll like design everything else perfectly. Uh-huh. And then that headbutts reality. It's like, well, mm-hmm. no, all this other stuff does exist. It has to fit in there somewhere. And there's a bunch of other stuff gonna... you didn't even know existed too, by the yeah. way. So add that in. <laughs> yeah, maybe it'd be worth discussing in the future. Like how do you decide to actually just delete stuff. Like, okay, we came up with this North Star concept car and we actually think it's a good idea to delete some of our old decisions. Uh, it's so hard to delete code and delete features. It almost yeah. never happens. Yeah. And this is why we have big company startup cycles, right? Startups come along and they simplify and distill and everything is simple and elegant. And then they do that month over month over month for like mm-hmm. five years and they're no longer simple and distilled and elegant and they're fully bloated 
and then some other startup comes along and redistills and mm-hmm. executes a, a new simpler version. Every startup is a snowball. Eventually, yeah. they end up in a becoming a gigantic snowball, picking up more and more snow down the hill. Yep. Yeah. Inevitable. But that's a conversation for another time, Brian. Indeed. Let's move on to cool things and get out of here. All right. You go first. All right. So last night we pulled up Netflix. The Netflix algorithm worked its magic. I'm not uh-huh. even going to say magic, actually. I think Netflix <laughs> is pretty bad at suggestions. But <laughs> but the featured show for us was a show called The Sinner. Okay. And I was like, oh, it sounds kind of corny. But I watched the preview. <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, the preview pulled us in, and it's three seasons. Complete, all told, or just so far? So far, I think. Okay. okay. I'll give you the hook, okay? Season one, episode one. Totally normal family, uh, wife, husband, and kid go to the beach. Something happens, we're not really sure what, and the wife just kills somebody on the beach, like just goes up to this guy and starts oh. stabbing him to death. Holy shit, okay. So it's not a whodunit. Like, there was a murder, Everybody watched it happen. Mm-hmm. She goes to jail. Like, cool. This was pretty obvious. She went up and stabbed this guy. Mm-hmm. But there's a detective who is really curious why. Yeah. She's such a regular person. Why would she just randomly kill somebody? Mm-hmm. And so what unfolds is an eight-episode thriller. I guess thriller would be the genre. Drama, maybe. Okay. Thrama. And... <laughs> Driller? <laughs> yeah uh like trying to unearth why did this person just randomly murder some guy on the beach okay and the names you will probably know from the show bill pullman is the grizzled detective with with the beard and uh, i don't know he's got that sort of mystique in his eyes he like he knows something else is going on he's not gonna let this case go to rest he's not gonna let her just go to jail without having some answers (laughs) Uh, the main character is played by Jessica Biel. Okay. And I mean, God dang, if she doesn't cry in every single scene, but it is convincing <laughs> as hell. She does a great job. Okay. And then there's a few other people that I hadn't heard of, but I thought the acting was great. And I, I did a look up afterwards. So there's three seasons. And basically what I heard is season one, excellent. Season two, pretty good. Season three, garbage. So I might watch mm. season two. Oh, I should add the final context. We watched all eight episodes yesterday. Um, oh my god! Okay, <laughs> we we watched from about six p.m. till two a.m. Wow, which I never do. I never yeah, do. Yeah, a rare binge. Once you get like three in, you're like, all right, fuck it, we're just gonna do it. I want to know what happened. <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, you've you've hooked me, Brian. I'm gonna check it out. Watch the first and see if you like it. Yeah. Oh, oh I should I should warn people. There's some weird shit that happens. Like it's there's like some pretty sexual content, drug content, violence. All that kind of stuff. So dark shit. Okay. Content warning. Yeah. I won't watch it with my parents. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Cool thing, Brian. I'm gonna check it out. My cool thing this week is a book. So I'm sure everybody has heard of Ready Player One. Uh, there's a sequel to it out called Go Figure Ready Player Two. <laughs> uh-huh. Makes sense. I wonder if he'll write a third and we'll have a Ready Player Three. Anyways. Not much to say about it. It's it's candy, Brian. If you like the first one, you probably like the second one. I, it's a different type of story. Uh, it picks up right where the first book left off. So that adds an interesting aspect to it of like, okay, we're just continuing to tell this story. And of course, more things unfold. A major decision is made, which has major consequences across the entire world. 
And I don't know. I, I enjoyed it. I, the villain was good and it paid off really nicely. And and throughout the whole thing, there's just 80s reference after 80s reference. Mm-hmm. And, and I enjoy it. So it's actually kind of fun to Google some of the things that came up. I'm like, what is this? Like, well, I, don't, I don't know what this thing is. And watching old clips from 80s movies and stuff. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I mean, that was why the first one was so enjoyable. Right. Just it's fun. Nostalgia. Nostalgia, nostalgia yep. candy. Yeah. 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 So if you want some more nostalgia candy, Ready Player Two. Cool. All right. Well, this has been episode 384. Uh, we hope you enjoyed it. Let us know what you thought. We're on Twitter, as always, Design Details FM. If you did enjoy it and you want to support the show and continue making future episodes possible, you can do that by going to patreon.com slash design details. For just a dollar a month, you get access to a new supporter-only segment of the show called The Sidebar. Sidebar, sidebar. This week's sidebar, we spent a long time talking about what is the Norman Door equivalent of digital design talked a lot about discoverability, feedback, interface design, affordances, signifiers, mm-hmm. all this nerdy design stuff. So if you want to get in the weeds, go to patreon.com slash design details and you can support us for just a dollar a month. Otherwise, uh, if you have your own listener question, you can go to our GitHub, github.com slash design details slash design details, open an issue and we will uh, take a look and hopefully talk about it in a future episode. Otherwise, that's it. Catch you next week. Tweet at us. Bye. Tweet at us. Bye. Whoops. Ah, no. Yeah, we're keeping <laughs> Shit, it. I just kept going. <laughs> Otherwise, that's it. We'll catch you next You're week. reading my lines now, Brian. <laughs> Jesus. And I'm Marshall Bach. <laughs>